of brings us all back in, you know? Because everybody's been on summer. How many of y'all just kind of check out a little bit during the summer? Just raise your hand. I know you're still working. You still got stuff. But there's just this thing on us. We kind of, okay, just going kind of, at least a part of your brain just checks out just a little bit. I can tell you as a pastor, we, I know this, that one of the most engaging times in church is during the fall. People start coming back in. The kids are going back to school. They're click, done with vacation. People start clicking back in. And so as we begin to pray about this month of August and what I felt like I wanted to share message-wise, uh, I just felt like I wanted to spend some time uh, just helping us really engage again and get ready because September is going to come. We're going to have brand new people come and guests start showing up even more so. And I want to make sure that before that happens, we're all engaged back into gear. You know what I mean? How, you know, gears can slip. I want to make sure that we're engaged. So instead of us doing a series for the month of, of August, I, I just told our, our team, look, I just, I just want to take four weeks and I want us to focus on what matters to God. So for the next four weeks, I'm going to be speaking about what I believe matters to God. How many of you know what matters to God should matter to us? Oh, y'all quiet. Y'all slept in too late. Raise your hand. How many of you know what matters to God should matter to us? And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the things that are precious to God's heart. What is it that God would want us to engage back into? And it's no guilt. No guilt like, oh, I've been checked out, I've been missing church. No, no guilt. We're just engaging back in. We're all checking back in and getting ready. Look at your neighbor and say, time to check back in. Come on. Check in. Here we go. So today I want to start off uh, teaching about something that's very dear to my heart, and I know it's dear to God's heart. I want to talk about worship today. So if you're taking notes, you can just write that down, worship. And not just worship. Matter of fact, before you write worship, you can write down true worship. That's what, what's what I really want to talk about today, is not just worship, but true worship. And there's a scripture in John 4 and 23. I want to read that one verse, and then we're going to, I'm going to give you some context to that passage today. Uh, and Kristen, thank you for putting the pressure on me today, just a moment ago. That was awesome. You said it was life-changing, so I can't bomb now. I can tell you right now. I love you, baby girl. John 4, 23. So y'all got to help me out, y'all, Okay. Because 9 o'clock did. They were all in and ready. And I got one here so far today. So John 4, 23. No, two. Kristen's already in. John 4, 23. But the time is coming. It's on the screens if you'd like to look up there. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. I love that. Time is coming. It's here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him this way. I want to focus on three words today. And if, you, if you're taking notes, write these down, okay? Three words we're going to focus in on. Number one is worship. Number two is spirit. And number three is truth. Three words. Worship, spirit, and truth. Those that worship must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So before we go on, let me give you a little context to this passage of Scripture, because this is a passage. How many have heard this quoted before? Raise your hand. Or you've heard people say it before. Yeah, and, and, and you get it from both sides, you know, because the Pentecostals are like, worship in spirit, you know. 
And then the, you know, the people that are all worried, you got to worship in the truth as well, you know. And Jesus says, if you want to really be a true worshiper, you need to do both. So I want to talk about that. Those of you that, that want your worship to go to another level, you know there's some parts of you that are not as passionate as they used to be. My goal today is by the time we get out of here, that you have some tools, you have some avenues that are going to help your relationship with Jesus Christ go to a whole nother level. Ready? All right. So the context of John 4 and 23, again, we read and quote these scriptures and sometimes don't understand the whole context of it. So what happens is Jesus is journeying and he decides he's going to go through this this Samaritan village. And the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. They hated each other. I mean, not just didn't get along. They despised one another. There was incredible racial and religious, political tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus decides he wants to make a little sidetrack. He tells the guys, y'all go on and get some food. I've got something I need to go do. So he makes his way into this Samaritan village, and he's tired, so he goes and sits down at a well. As he's sitting there, a Samaritan woman comes walking up to draw water out of the well, and Jesus says, would you give me a drink? Well, immediately the lady's surprised because most Jews would refuse to have anything to do with a Samaritan, much less a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. So you're getting the context here. So give me something to drink. And she is like, why, why are you asking me, me for something to drink? And, and she automatically kind of this race thing goes up, this political thing kind of goes up. We're not the same tribe, me and you, you know. We disagree on everything. Why are you asking me for something to drink? Jesus just answers it right back, and he says, if you knew the truth, everybody said the truth. He said, if you knew the truth, you would ask me for a drink, and then I would give you living water. And anyone who drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. Get water out of this well, you're going to be thirsty in a few hours. But what I give you is never ends. Matter of fact, it becomes in you a fresh bubbling spring that begins to lead to eternal life. That's the kind of water that I give. And so what does she say? Give me this water. I want this water. But then she tags on why. I want this water so I won't have to keep coming back to this dumb well. So she missed out on what Jesus was saying. She didn't get the truth. So Jesus tries another way. He says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, exactly, you don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And the one you're with right now, you're not married to. So it gets right to the, to the root of it. And what does she do? You're a prophet. God, Jesus saw something in her. It's a stranger. How does he know? You're a prophet. So now you think she's getting the truth. She's going to get it now. And what does she do? She said, if you're a prophet, then I want you to tell me something. Where are we supposed to worship? You Jews say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Us Samaritans say you're supposed to worship right here on this mountain. So what does she do? It, the, the race political thing didn't work. So now she throws up the religious thing. And what I've found is most people that argue about all those things are really not wanting to get to the root of what it's really all about. Now open 
discussion. Let's get to some change. Let's figure out how we can do some, get some stuff. But people that just want to complain and fuss, how many of y'all know some people like that? Don't nudge your spouse on the way up, okay? You know people. Most people that, that have this thing on them, especially in the religious realm, that they want to argue doctrine and figure all this stuff out and want to, it's, everything's contested, you know. You can't even have a normal conversation with them without it feeling like some type of argument. Most of the time, they're not really wanting to get to the root of what really matters. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about getting to what really matters. So, here's where we pick up the text in John 4 and 21. She says, where are we supposed to worship? In Jerusalem, are we supposed to worship here on the mountain? And here's what Jesus says to her. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming, John 4, 21, when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, here's our text, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Everybody say spirit, truth, and worship. Three words, let's focus on them. First of all, let's talk about spirit. When you look up the definition of the word spirit, it means non-material. So, no body. It's, it is just a spirit. There's no body, so there's no limits. It's, it, it's fluid. It can go where it wants to. It has no restrictions on it. The, the spirit. God is a spirit. And God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere. So, the lady is saying, where do we worship? Give me some guidelines. I want to know the systematic, I want to, and he says, first of all, let me just talk to you about being a true worshiper. First thing you've got to understand is God is a spirit. So in other words, where you worship should not even be the focus. How you worship should not even be the focus. What I found is most people say, well, I like this kind of worship. I like this kind of style of worship. And there's the issue. You like it. And if it's not our kind, then we don't like it. And it takes God completely out of the equation. We're not asking God what kind of worship he likes. We want to know what kind of worship we like. That ain't worship. That's just you listen to music, you know. That's, that's the style. It's not about the style. So he says, and I, it's amazing. If we had all of us stand up in here today and talk about our different backgrounds, the style of worship we came from. And for some of you, the style of worship you came from makes you love that style. For some of you, the style of worship you came from makes you run from that style. But either way, we would stand up. It would be so many varied types of worship from music to no music to hymns to screens to brush arbors to snake handling to whatever it is, just all over the place. And even the folks are the same denomination. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When I came to Nashville, I'd, I'd never met so many Presbyterians in all my life. And they would start asking me, what part of Presbyterian are you? I, I thought there was just one. I didn't know. And then Baptist. I married a Baptist. Are you Southern Baptist? Are you Free Will Baptist? Are you Missionary Baptist? I don't know. 
And then don't get me started on Pentecostals. That's just crazy. They go from one end all the way to the other. But that's not what he's talking about. We get so focused on that, what style, and Jesus is telling the lady, you're so concerned about how to do it and where to do it that you're missing out talking to the one that you should be worshiping. So he says, God is a spirit. What he was saying to her, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And God is what he is wherever he is. So it doesn't matter where he is. He is just God. Worshiping in spirit and truth is what he's after. So truth, we talked about spirit. Spirit has no boundaries, right? It's I'm not present. It's everywhere. Now, I did an in-depth study of the word truth. Y'all ready for this? The word truth means what's true. See, I told you that was going to be powerful. I went in deep on that one. Blue lighter, blue, blue letter Bible, I went in really deep on that one. The truth is whatever is true. And Jesus says to her, to worship true, you've got to worship in spirit. That means you've got to be open to it. You've got to be ready for it. And it can happen anywhere. But also, there has to be truth that is attached to it. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is this. Instead of focusing on where or how we worship, we should be focusing on who we worship. And as Jesus is saying this to her, we all know that later on in John, he tells, he tells the folks, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. When he told her salvation comes through the Jews, he was actually talking about himself. No one can come to the Father except through me. So spirit, we've talked about that. We've talked about truth. Now let's talk about worship. What does the word worship mean? And we're going to talk about this. We'll probably talk about this some next Sunday as well. Because, again, there's this connotation of worship. For many of you, worship is when the music starts. Or worship service. Or there's different connotations of what worship is. I want to really break down the word worship. This word worship comes from an old English word. And I want you to bring it up on the screens. And I'm going to try to say it because it's not pronounced. And you all know that that come to the hills, I just mess up all this stuff. So so this is an old English word that is pronounced werewerthsipi. Yes, I did it. Werewerthsipi. It doesn't sound anything, look anything like it sounds, does it? Werewerthsipi. Now, I want to show you what this word word means it means this to ascribe worth to in other words to take worth and put it on it that word literally became this next word worthship so it started off the one we can't pronounce but after years and years it became worthship and now we call it Say it loud. I, I mean, you know what it is, so it's not a trick question. On the count of three, they used to call it worship. Now we call it. Oh, it's on the screen. Y'all are cheating. Worship. So in other words, worship is worship. Let me break that down. In other words, it means whatever you put worth on, that's what you worship. Wherever you place value, that's what 
you worship. Whatever we worship is the thing that we value the most. And if you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, you should still write that down. Whatever we value the most is what we worship. Come on, think about it. Where do we spend our time? What we value. Where do we spend our money? What we value. Where do we spend our energy, our passion? What we value. And so all it takes for us to get messed up is for our value system to get messed up. That's all it takes. Doesn't take us becoming anti-God. Doesn't take us becoming heathens. All it takes is for our value system to get a little offline. That's why the truth is so important. Because truth is seeing something for what it is. And before you and I can really enter into true worship, we have to have a value system that is based on truth. Value means this is worth me spending my time. Truth. How many ever have had that revelation of truth in something? Raise your hand. When you thought that person liked you and then they didn't. You know what I mean? They had more value in that relationship. No, it's gone. Suddenly there's this truth thing. I, I, I used the example this morning about... Kristen, we've been married for 23 years now. And when I first met her, man, I valued her. Or at least I thought I did. But the more I knew her, and the more I saw how incredible she is, the more I valued her. And so many people say, I love you more than I ever have before. In reality, you value them more than you ever have before. As a pastor, I know that the answer to us living abundant life is by loving Jesus. Because what do you say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my question has always been, how do you get people to love more than they already do? You can't force it. We've tried to in religion. You can't force it. So I believe this is a revelation for us. Instead of trying to, oh, i got to love him more. i got to love him more. It's let me find more value. Chris and I looked at each other last week, and not to get all gushy with y'all, with tears in both of our eyes, realized how much more we valued one another than we did 23 years ago. How much more we valued one another than we did five years ago. How much more we valued one another than we did a month ago. Matter of fact, Kristen just said, I feel sorry for other people. This is just not fair. But it's because we've walked through some mess together. And I know what's in her. And I know how strong she is. I know how much she loves God and wants to do the right thing. And so there's more value that's placed in her from me. This is the same thing with our relationship with the Lord. There has to be this revelation where, oh, there's the value system. I I don't know about you. How many of you had that first car? Raise your hand. You had that first car? And you had value? Man, that was some value on it, wasn't it? My daddy bought me a Toyota Tercel. Y'all don't even know about that, do you? It was gold. And he paid $4 for it, I think. And it had 500,000 miles on it. No, I didn't have that many. But it was, it was a mess. But it was my first car. And y'all, I worked. 
I put stuff, I bought them. Y'all remember when those windshield wipers, the double windshield wipers were in? How many of you know about them? Y'all don't even know about them thick ones I bought them, put on it. I bought that, that the hood cover that they called a Labra. Come on, raise your hand if you know about that. You're like, Pastor, talking about brassiers and stuff now. No, it was like a bug screen, you know. Had that, man. I bought those rims. I remember I saved my money. Bought those chrome rims. Had the little circles around. Had the gold trim. I thought, that's going to be fine. Got them. It didn't even match the gold of my car. Just a mess. I had them 15-inch speakers in the trunk. Couldn't put anything else in it. That was my baby. And I remember telling my daddy, I'm like, I'm a, I don't know what it was. I'm going to get something. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the inside all done. And my daddy said, son, you know that after you spend all that money, you still have a Toyota Tercel <laughs> with 5 million miles on it. And it was just heartbreaking for me because all of a sudden I have a, a revelation of the value of this car. This revelation that clicks, it can happen one way or the other. The revelation of, oh, you don't put as much value in this relationship as I do. And you've all had that. Or there's that revelation of, man, this situation, this person, this time of my life has more value than I ever. That's a revelation. Everybody say revelation. And I, I, I want to I read a little, bit, a little bit from a book that has that same name, Revelations, and it scares most of us to death. When you start talking about Revelations, people just get scared to death. But I want to show you a couple of things. Revelations 1 and 10, you don't have to turn there. I just want to tell you really quick how the whole book starts. The Bible says, I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Everybody say, Spirit. And he said, I heard a voice behind me, and I turned around and saw, and then it begins to happen. Here is John, who has walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and now, years later, is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Here's a voice, turns around, and has a revelation. And the rest of the book is about John seeing things that he had never seen, And he begins to write, and it's called the book of Revelation. I want to read one to you, Revelations chapter 4. Remember, the only way that we can worship in truth is if we have a true understanding of the value of the one we're worshiping. You're still with me? I'm going to say it again. The only way we can worship truly is if we have a real understanding of the value of Of the one we're worshiping. Y'all which is hard right now. Because the Bible says we see through a glass darkly. It's like a a film over. You can make out parts of him. And pieces of him. But I want to read in Revelations chapter 4. What John saw. And I think it's going to open us up just a little bit. The Bible says that John saw a throne in heaven. And the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. Now, before, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm setting this scripture up. You can leave that up, but I'm setting that scripture up. I was going to read it to you, but I thought some of you may start dozing off. But I, so I'm going to quote it to you. I want you to get the mental picture. John sees a throne in heaven. This throne, the one that is sitting on the throne, was as brilliant as gemstones. It's the glow. It says the glow of emeralds was around him like a a rainbow. It circled all the way around him. 
And then from the throne, there were flashes of lightning and, and the rolls of thunder. And then around that throne, there were other thrones. And there were 24 elders dressed in white, wearing gold crowns. You get in the picture, you see it? Flashes of light, thunder, rainbows of emeralds. 24 elders sitting around. Now it's about to get really wacky, all right? Here we go. And then there were beasts or creatures that were flying around the throne. And these creatures had eyes all over their body. Not just two set. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Eyes all over their body. They had six wings. And on the wings were eyes as well. On the top, underneath. Y'all know about that, y'all remember that teacher that had eyes in the back of her head? You know what I mean? These creatures had eyes everywhere, all over their body. And they're fluttering around. And the, the 24 elders are gathered around. And then we zoom in to what? The creatures are saying, and watch this, bring that up, Revelations 4 and 8, it says, day after day, everybody say, day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come, verse 9. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders get involved in the worship service and they fall down and they worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay down their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. All right, so you got it? Here's the one on the throne. And all of a sudden, the flying creatures are continually saying over and over and over, Holy, 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 holy. The elders hear them saying holy. They fall on their face, throw their crowns at his throne and say, worthy, worthy, worthy. And the Bible says it doesn't stop. Day after day, night after night. Can you imagine how bored out of our mind we would be? Come on, let's be honest. Y'all know right now, we sing the same song three weeks in a row. You're like, man, we don't think we sang this last week. Do we sing it? Can we get some flashing lights or something? Somebody with a banner waving it? Just... Hey, keep it real. Keep it funny. Keep it fresh. How, how do we keep it going like this and yet all the time? Holy. Holy. For eternity. Not an hour and 15 minutes. Eternity. I remember what I used to think about, and if those of you that were here several weeks ago when I spoke on heaven, I talked about eternity and how they would say, oh, we're going to get in heaven and we're going to worship forever. And I would think, good Lord, really? Because <laughs> in my mind, I was tying it into the worship service I was a part of at that time, going, I don't think I want to do that. They got to slide and swing somewhere. We can just go do something. I don't know that I want to do that, you know. And even now, think about it. Think about it. You're, right now, you're trying to think about where you're going to eat and what you're going to do afterwards. And 
How do they do that? Here's how they do it. They have had a revelation of who He really is. You and I see through a glass darkly, as I mentioned. We see glimpses of Him. We, we read it through His Word. We have these moments where, okay, I see... But they see Him as He is all the time. So in other words, the angels, the elders, the creatures have an understanding of His worth. And so when they say, you're holy, that word holy means set apart. Nobody like Him. The uncreated one. They're seeing Him as He is. It's not just like, holy, 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 holy. It's holy. Holy. And when the elders say worthy, that word worthy literally means to even out the scale. They look at him and they say, you alone are worthy to receive all the power and the glory and the honor. You know the reason that you and I have trouble worshiping is because we don't really understand his worth. When we have that understanding of how worthy he really is, Worship's not a problem. You won't care if we got music or don't have music. You won't care if it's new, too hot or cold. You won't care. If, you don't even have to be at church. It can be in your house. It can be in your kitchen. It can be wherever you are. That's what happens when you have this understanding of God's worth. Everybody look at me. They're going to be fine, okay? Y'all are just worried sick right now. Some of y'all just, what's going on? Yeah, they're going to take care of it. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be fine. They're going to take care of it. Some of y'all don't even have kids. What, do you, what would you do? You wouldn't even know what to do. Worship is all about our value system. And value system is all about what we deem worthy or not worthy. So that word worthy means the scales... And that's how they used to pay things off is you would put the scale here and you'd put the gold on this side and that's how you would do it. In other words, Jesus is so worthy. Think about this. For God so loved the world. The world. Every created thing. Every person that was ever created or will be created. God loves the world and he wants to do something for it. What does he pay? His son. One son, even out the scales. Think about your sin. Think about what you did this week. Think about what I did. Y'all don't know. I'll tell you after church. Think about what we did. And then just magnify that by billions and billions and billions. And then all the days that they lived. What's going to even that scale out? One spotless lamb. That's what he's worth. Worth is how you begin to learn to worship. It's not about loving more. Oh, I've got to love him more. Well, how do you love him more? Well, you've got you to give more money to the church. 
You got to fast more. You got to pray more. You got to act right, talk right. You got to check this off, check on that. Do it. No. The way you love more is have an understanding of the value of what you're loving. It changes everything. Everybody say worship. Now add that th in there. Worthship. The reason that they're able to worship him is because they see his worth. The three words. Worship, spirit, and truth. If you're taking notes, write this down. Before we can worship him truly, we have to see his worth. And the only way we can see his worth is by seeing the truth. And there is only one way that this happens. And that's by the spirit of God. I'm going to backtrack on that one just a minute. Before we can ever enter into true worship, we have to have a clear understanding of his value and his worth. And to do that, there has to be this revelation. There has to be this truth that we really see him as he is. That can only happen by the Spirit of God. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be strong enough. You're never going to be smart enough to see him As he is. The scripture says no one has ever seen God and lived. You're just not going to do it. You can't see him as he is. There's only one way. Only one way. And that's by the spirit of God. John chapter 16 and 13 says this. When the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit. Is to guide you into truth. To reveal Things to you. How many ever just read the word and got nothing out of it? Raise your hand. Come on, just be honest. You read it. You're like, I I just don't know. The scripture says that this is the sword of the spirit. The spirit handles this thing. But many times we separate this from the spirit of God. And we're just checking off chapters. I just got to get that done. Especially in Leviticus. I am not going through all that mess. All right. Don't even get me talking about numbers, all right? Just going to roll through that stuff as fast as I can. The reason it doesn't come alive for us is because we're handling a sword with no spirit attached to it. The Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The sword of the spirit that is able to slice things up in your life, do surgery on you. But you've also got to have the spirit that comes along behind it and reveals the truth of what was really going on. That's why you, some of you were raised in churches that were just word churches and you feel like you just got cut up every Sunday. Just be, There's no spirit attached to it. And others that went to a spirit church and not much word and all you got was, ooh, that was what you got out of it. But what if there could be this beautiful junction of spirit And truth. I'm telling you, when you get that idea in your mind, when you get that, that's what it's about. Then it takes away, I got to read this much. I got to pray this much. I got to listen to just worship me. I got to, I got to, I got to. No, you don't. All you have to do is ask for more Holy Spirit. At least the Pentecostals could have amen on that one. Can we add that in after the fact? Because that was a really good point right there. Let me give you one more example. I'm going to close. Matthew 16 and 13. 
Now remember, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, the guys that have been with him for three and a half years. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, I'm coming into a new area. I want to know what they're saying about me around here. Who do they say that I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now listen, disciples, been with Jesus. They know that he's Jesus, all right? They get that. Great teacher. Amazing rabbi. Performs miracles. And then, then there are also some people that say that you're a prophet, that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah. And then he goes into the heart of the matter. But what about you? What, who do you say that I am? Don't you love how Jesus just gets, just like the woman at the well, let's get down to what really this thing is all about, okay? And he says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Listen, this is the first time that any of the disciples have ever made that declaration. Partly because they're scared. They don't want to get stoned. They don't want to be wrong. Not the apostle Peter. Nope, you're the Messiah. And you know the other disciples like, that's Peter. He's crazy, man. He's crazy. Just says stuff. Don't even know what he's talking about. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. The only way you and I can have a clear revelation of the worth and the value of Jesus Christ is by the Holy Spirit. There has to be a moment where the Holy Spirit does a quickening in your heart, removes the veils or the scales off of your eyes, and suddenly you begin to see Jesus for what he really is. Time is coming, and indeed it's here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The only way we can worship is for us to see the truth, and the only way we can see the truth is for us to have the Spirit. John, come play. I love the end of our text. We read the text. I gave you the context. Then I read the text. The lady at the the well. And she's going down this whole dialogue, trying to figure out the religion and the race and the politics and all this stuff. And, And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, Jesus looks at her. Y'all remember the story, right? Who are you asking me water and where are we supposed to worship? And And Jesus looks at her and goes, hey, I'm the Messiah. And the scripture says, and you can read it when you get home, that she leaves the well, leaves her water pot, and runs back to the village, screaming, saying, y'all got to come see a man. This man told me everything I had ever done. I find it funny that he only told her a couple things she had done. But he went so deep into her heart that she just knew that he saw her soul. He told me everything that I've ever done. See, that's what Jesus does. He wants to get to what it's really about for you. Why why do you have commitment issues? Why is it that you can't stop living that lifestyle? 
Why is it that that one thing trips you up? Why are you not stepping into everything that God's called you to be? He wants to get to the heart of it. He wants to get to the truth of it. Because he knows if he can get you to look at what's in you, then you're going to start seeing him in a way that you've never seen him before. Suddenly, after he's spoken to her with truth and yet with love, she wants to go tell everybody about it. And the scripture says that the village came out and multitudes believed. All because... One lady had a revelation of who he was. What about you? How many want your relationship with Jesus to be deeper and more passionate? I want you to raise your hand. I want more. All right, put them down. Now, how many of you have tried to make that happen by checking things off and do, trying to do more and of something and try and do less of something. Raise your hand. I got I got to get deeper. I got to pray more and fast more and yes, that's all a part of it. But that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you want to see him as he is. I don't read the word more so that he will look down and go, "Oh, you read five chapters. Okay, I'm going to show you some more of me." And I read the word more because I want to know him more. What if our whole our whole value system could change today what if we could really see him the way he is how good he is how gracious he is how loving he is how worthy he is don't you think worship would be so much easier when we see his worth only one way that happens the Holy Spirit to do the work